Hello and welcome to Sense and Sensitivity. I'm Hannah Stella here with Cece Shia. Hello, guys. Hi, everybody. We are talking about television today. Well, we're talking about television shows in New York. Yeah, specifically the ones about New York, because I do feel like, I don't know about you, Hannah, but one of the reasons I did want to move to New York when I was younger was definitely watching TV and media and being like, wow, this sounds so fun. This sounds like the life of that I want. So why don't I try and make my way there? Yeah, I, I suppose Gossip Girl a little bit made me excited to move to New York. Yeah. But I just always thought that I would move to New York. It was a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy for me. I didn't watch a lot of TV as a kid. We didn't have cable. Yeah, I didn't have cable either. But you know, Gossip Girl was CW, right? And I did read all of the Gossip Girl books. Like I went to the bookstore a lot. And that specific, you you remember the covers where it was like their eyes were cut off and it was just like their nose and mouth and body. I love those covers. I thought they were so chic and I would just sit in the library and the bookstore and just like read all of them. So that series definitely made me obsessed with New York in an unhealthy way. I love it. How was your weekend? How was last week for you? It was pretty good. Had a friend's like joint birthday thing, which was a lot of fun, but started so early. I feel like the thing about summer birthday stuff is that they do start so early because they want to take advantage of the sunshine and the weather. But then it also means that if you're drinking, you start drinking really early and it is like a long day ahead. I don't really like day drinking. This is like a very unpopular opinion. I really, I've never really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I'm like, okay with it. But I am the same. I think I really come alive in the nighttime. And if it's daytime, it feels a little weird sometimes to like, feel that hazy feeling. I'm not even really a fan of boozy brunch. It makes me feel like the day is over. And the day actually is over. Yeah, I am not a big brunch culture person. I'll go to brunch, but I won't plan brunch. I went to brunch this weekend at Bad Roman, and I did not like Bad Roman. I'd heard it was bad, and I th- that was correct. That's why it's called Bad Roman. They're basically yes. telling you. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize you didn't like brunch at all. I actually love brunch food, but I do hate sometimes having to drink for hours at brunch. It is, it's not fun. I mean, I like breakfast. I I just don't, I don't like, I'm happy to go to brunch, but it's never like what I would like invite people to do. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's like an easy default for the weekend. If you don't necessarily want to, I always feel like dinner and like evening is kind of a sacred time. So if I'm giving that time slot to someone, it's like a big deal. And sometimes I'm just not sure if I want to commit to like dinner or evening with a group of people, you know, like there's like my really good friends who I'm always happy to do it with. But sometimes I'm like, eh, who knows? And brunch is kind of an easy out. Interesting. I sort of feel the opposite. Like I'll go to brunch with people who I like, but dinner, I'll go have dinner with anybody. (laughs) I feel like it's just so much more awkward to be like, oh, and I got to go now. The only answer really is like, I got to go to sleep. But what if you don't want to go to sleep? I think that just makes it more awkward. Whereas for brunch, you could be like, I have to run an errand. I have to like do some work. It seems just like an easier out because it's daytime. Yeah, you just kind of pretend you don't know what's going on and sort of like dance away. Okay, I guess it makes sense. How's the, you know, two to five dates ghosting four of them situation? It makes a lot more sense now. I know I have to get it together. I've lived a thousand lives since we last spoke. I'm trying to like 
think about what I can and cannot say in a recording. I called yeah. my dad. What? Yeah, I called. Well, I was bored. I, I wanted to chat and I was like, do you know who will take my call? Uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. And then I don't know. I, so I went on a date the other day after Barry's boot camp. Mm-hmm. I went straight from Barry's boot camp. Like without shower. Like I did not shower. <laughs> I did not change. I went in my little neon shorts and my little sports bra and my hokas with my nasty hair. And I told him, I was like, okay, but like, I'm literally like, I was just at Barry's and like, I don't do Barry's like a cute girl who like does the walking. Like I, I sprint, I'll mm-hmm. do a one minute sprint at an 11 cc. I'm there to work out. And so I was like, I mean, I'll come meet you, but like, that's literally like, I'm going to be disgusting. That's like my most, the grossest that I ever look. And then I was like, you know what? Actually, that's pretty smart. Mm -hmm. And I also thought it was smart. I have mixed feelings about dating in a sense that like, you know, sometimes you go and you're just like, oh, no. Yeah. Immediately. immediately. Mm -hmm. Often. Most of the time. But then I also think it's a little bit like meeting somebody for a drink. Are you really giving it a chance. And like, if I'm going to spend, like, if I'm going to schedule this for the night, should we be having dinner? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I actually thought it was sort of, I was like, Oh, we'll do like a little like pre-date drive by and then decide if we want to go on a date. Mm -hmm. And if not, you're just going to text him. Sorry. Something came up. So I was like, oh, I'll come meet you like in the park after Barry's. Fine. And then I was like, this is actually like sort of a good idea to just like meet for 10 minutes because then you know if you want to go on a date with the person. That's not what ended up happening. I didn't meet him for 10 minutes. And then I had a friend staying with me and I got stoned in the park and then came back two hours (laughs) later. So that's that's not how it went. But I did think it was a good idea. Yeah. Like just sort of like a, like a screener. Yeah. I had a friend who really enjoyed dating during the pandemic because he said he could just like FaceTime people for, I don't know, 15 minutes, half an hour before planning to meet because back then, right. You couldn't just like willy nilly meet everyone. And he actually thought it was really, really efficient because you got to like talk to someone a little, like see them in motion and not just in photos. And it was a good screener for him and very efficient. You're like, you don't go to a date where you're like 10 minutes in, you're like, okay, this isn't going to work out, but then have to be stranded there for like 45 more minutes. Do you feel like you can tell chemistry on FaceTime? I've never been on a FaceTime date. I don't aspire to go on one, but I do think that makes sense. Yeah. So I think you can tell how they look at least. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can really tell chemistry. And I know this because when I was in college, I really, really started this like long distance dating romance thing with this guy who I'd only seen in photos. And then like we would Google video chat sometimes. And then we met a person and I was like, oh no, this is way worse than I thought. Yeah. I'm laughing because I just think that like so many people in our generation have a weird like 
sort of vaguely, not that you should be embarrassed, but like a weird, like sort of online turned offline romantic relationship that they're like a little embarrassed by. And they're like, that was weird. That was just like something that I did that nobody else did. And then you talk to people and you're like, oh, we were all doing this. There was a moment in time. We were all like meeting people on like weird ways on the internet and like deciding that we were in love. Yeah, because it's so much easier to kind of romanticize someone who's like far away, right? And then you meet them and you're like, oh my God, if I'd met you in real life, this would have never happened. It would have never gotten this far. But the beauty of the internet and all of these like distance and connections is that it sometimes does let people be just far enough to make them attractive. And in real life, you don't have that distance. Yeah, I feel like so much of that like, this is not going to work is about like, chemistry. I think the chemistry you either sort of have immediately or you don't, but maybe not. Maybe I should be more open-minded. I don't think so. I think I need to be a little less open-minded. I think I need to close my mind. I think that physical chemistry is hard to assess on FaceTime. I think the other thing is there's kind of an intangible fit that's like, almost an on paper thing, but that's like hard to assess on paper. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that is to the extent that I'm like struggling with dating, even though I'm not really like, I'm fully feral right now. Like I can't be domesticated. So it doesn't matter. There's kind of a social, like a cultural reference touch point. Do we both find the same like home decor tacky sort of thing that I actually think is like really important. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think if you're going to end up with somebody, you have to despise the same couch. Yeah. But how can you gauge that in person during a first date though? That's like, I can, I can tell in one second. (laughs) I can tell in one fucking second. You're like decor. Our interests match. You can look a man in the eye and you will immediately know if he likes Jeff Koons. You can tell. Man. I think I can tell. I think I can always tell. I can tell. When people have tacky taste, you can just immediately tell. And I know a lot of I know a lot of you bitches think that I have tacky taste and I, I know that you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think some people think I'm serious all the time. I am serious about the art thing. I would like you to have like one of those stands where it's like people can come up to you and you tell them whether they like Jeff Koons or not and see if you're right. You know, it's kind of that like circus or I guess those, you know, those like campground fairs. Yeah. When they, have they those, like, like guess your weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like Hannah will guess if you like Jeff Koons or not. Yeah. I'll, I'll read you like a book about your, <laughs> your taste. And no, but like, it's like what books, I don't know. I went on a different date. This was actually, I don't know if this is a funny story. I think this is a funny story. He, for some reason said that like, he was like, time is a social construct. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, do you mean that in that? Like it's 6 30 PM or whatever time it was like, it's 6 30 PM now. And so like that we've decided to call that 6.30 p.m. as a society? Or do you mean that in like a nihilistic, like body get fourth dimension way? And he wasn't aware of what a nihilistic body get fourth dimension way was. So I was trying to explain it to him. And I was just trying to explain to him sort of this like intersection of, of physics and philosophy. And he fully thought I was in a cult. He totally thought I was in a cult. He thought I was making it up. I was like, you've read Slaughterhouse-Five. And he was like, I don't know what that is. And I was like... Okay, it's a book by 
Kurt Vonnegut, who's like an, a, a quite celebrated American novelist, I'll be honest with you. But in the book, the guy like comes unstuck and he time he time travels. And sort of the idea of it is that like, well, not the idea of the book, but the idea of like this thing that some people believe that are not crazy people is that sort of everything has happened and that like time is a construct and we perceive time, but time sort of exists outside of us. And so nothing matters because everything's happened and everything that could happen is happening in some dimension. And if you don't have any background and somebody just says that to you on a date, you think that they're crazy. But I was like, no, I'm not crazy. You're stupid. Are you on my side of this? A little. I'm just like, has no, has he not encountered even the idea of like multiverses, quantum physics? Like some of this isn't, of course, like it can get really, really complicated, really, really fast. But I think a lot of this, like the multiverse concept, parallel timelines, it's been in more mainstream media than... That's what I think. I was like, you're looking at me like I'm a crazy person. And I can't believe that you've never heard of this. But he was like, oh, is this like a religious thing? And it was like, no. And he was like, he, he really, really, really fully thought I was in a cult. And I was like, this is not a cult. This is like a thing. I mean, it's or it's not. I don't know that it's correct. But it's... Look, talk to Kurt. Don't talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I hate it when... <laughs> I hate it when I someone. Don't, I don't care if people think I'm crazy. <laughs> That's true. That's one of the things I love most about you is that you really don't care. Okay, so shall we get into media about New York? Let's do it. Okay, so first, of course, I feel like you can't talk about anything New York and media related unless you talk about Sex in the City. So, you know, Sex and the City and also its reboot and just like that, which I hadn't really watched a lot of, but in preparation for this episode, I ended up watching quite a bit of. So going back to like Sex and the City, I rewatched what season one, episode one and the premiere, and I was kind of shocked by its premise, how it was edited, like it really does feel dated, but I can see how in 1998, it was really revolutionary because you just never thought about women in their 30s dating and having a sex life in New York. Like this was such a taboo topic back then. I think it feels of its time. And I understand that like some of the jokes and stuff are not jokes that we would make now, but I think it feels sort of of its time more than dated. And it was really revolutionary. And I think in a way it's certainly a very particular slice of New York, but I think Sex and the City on the whole is like one of the more accurate New York shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really, I mean, in the first episode, they introduced this idea of like the mid thirties power flip, which is this idea that, oh, before your mid thirties, women are seen to have more power in dating. And then somewhere around the mid thirties, this power flips to eligible bachelors, whom the show calls actually like a lot of them to be toxic bachelors. And the show really tries to delve into why there are so many great single women and so few great single men at that age. So I don't know about you. Do you believe in this like mid thirties power flip scenario? So I do think that time has changed in the last 20. Yeah, that's 20 years ago. 25, 25 years ago. 25. Yeah. I do think that the mid thirties in New York are a little younger than they were then. 
I actually sort of, I kind of think I think the opposite. I kind of think that when I was dating in my early 20s, I felt like I had no power and no idea what was going on. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I have more power and no idea what's going on. (laughs) But hey, the more power. More power. I, I think, I do think that there are relatively few single men who are kind of, here's what I struggle with about this. And I'm interested in your feeling on the power flip. I think that what it is, is that everybody is looking for something relatively specific, right? And most people looking for a specific thing are sort of looking for relatively like opposite specific things. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm Delulu, but I fully think that like the guy that I actually want to date is like looking for somebody like me to date. Oh, I mean, that would make sense. Right, right, right. Well, no, 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 no. I, I mean that in more of an Like an abstract in more, way? Or? In an abstract. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I think that, sorry, I, I mean sort of almost in like an on paper, but with like the art thing way. Does that make sense? No. No. Expound, please. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I guess I think that there are men on their little phones swiping through their little hinge looking for people who, I mean, this is, we're going to get kind of hyper-specific to me. I mean, in like a broader type who are like, okay, like, what do I like? Like, I want somebody who's like, I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Cece, I'm a good time. I'm smart. I'm funny. I'm very fit. I look younger than I am. I'm bad at making money. I spend a lot of money and I'm not organized. I'm not responsible. And that's true. And that's the deal. That's the package. And some people like that deal and some people like that package. Mm -hmm. And so I guess what I'm saying is like, I think that that is like, I think you meet me and you immediately know all of those things about me. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I'm like telling on myself by saying that. I think I'm maybe telling on my self-awareness. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Or am I talking crazy? Are Are you with me here? I'm with you here. Okay. And so I think that like, there's a weird thing where if that's kind of like vaguely what you're looking for, yeah, right? When you find somebody like that, you sort of, I think that there's a weird power dynamic moment where both people kind of feel like, oh, okay. Like I feel like I found somebody who seems appropriate. And then you're like, okay, but I don't know how many appropriate people they've found or I've found or do you know, does that make sense? And so I think everybody has that though with dating. I think everybody is sort of like whatever little, little type they are. And they're kind of, I don't know. I'm like talking so crazy. I've just, I've lived a thousand lives since I last spoke to you and I'm processing it now live on recording. (laughs) I guess what I'm saying is I think that there's a lot of stress when you find somebody who you feel that you are compatible with and that you feel you see potential with and that the power dynamics always get like complicated. And I don't know how gendered they are Mm -hmm. or how much to do with age it has to do. Yeah. I don't feel like anybody's not going to date me because I'm 32. I don't think so. I think that I just don't, that just has not been my experience and perhaps like with apps and stuff, but I meet people out. I meet people out a lot and I don't know. I've never had 
somebody be like, how old are you? And then like, oh, I suppose with apps, it's like people have their age filters set to mm-hmm. where they have their age filters set. Yeah. It's kind of pre-done for you. Yeah. I do think that there is a sense that is not really that fair. I think a lot of people feel that women in their early to mid thirties are very, very, very eager to meet somebody to settle down with immediately. I have kind of felt like that is not what I'm necessarily looking for and that everybody really assumes that that's what I'm looking for. Like every date I go on, every guy's talking about like how bad he wants to get married and like how ready he is for commitment. And I'm like, are you getting that energy from me or are you reading me a script or is that like sincerely what you want? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think a lot of that does have to do just with like societal narratives around women's biology, et cetera, et cetera. And one thing that makes sex in the city really dated for me is like when they talk about this like mid thirties power flip, when they talk about like the biological realities, I do think now like most of my friends have frozen their eggs or are freezing their eggs or doing some variation thereof, you know? And that just makes the idea of your quote unquote expiration date when dating so much less relevant. And in that way, I do think Sex and the City is kind of like an interesting time capsule into what it was like maybe when the technology was around alternative reproductive technologies was just like not as advanced and it wasn't as readily available. Like a lot of like my old law firms, they now offer egg freezing just as, and you know, tech companies do this. It's just a lot easier to live your life and have your career. Whereas I do think the life that what Carrie and Miranda and Samantha and Charlotte were living, if they wanted to have children, which like Charlotte obviously did, there was much more of a biological reality on that timeline that impacted a lot of things and also their interactions with men during that time. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's interesting. I kind of think that whoever decides they have the power has the power with dating. Hmm, like it's a it's kind of all about perception and your own perception of power in the situation. Oh, yeah, am I becoming a a, a rules girl? <laughs> Sounds like it. I think, unfortunately, it's like whoever cares less has the power. And that's kind of shitty, but that's that's how life works. That really goes right into, like, the first episode of Sex and the City where they try to, like, have sex like a man, right? That's what they mm-hmm. talk about. They're like, we're going to try and have sex like a man. Like, no emotions. We're just here for it. And I think there's something weirdly toxic about necessarily trying to model yourself after what is considered like a masculine way of dating and a masculine way of having sex because repression is also bad. And I think repressing any of your actual desires in the hopes of being more quote unquote, like a man is also not really empowering or feminism in the way that the show is trying to explore. And I I do appreciate that. I do feel like the show came during a time where instead of trying to be more like a woman, so much of the books, the narratives about how to advance in society was about being more like a man. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I, one of the things I also think is very interesting about, I don't know if you feel this way, but about the first episode of sex in the city in particular 
is it really feels like a pilot. You can tell it's the pilot and there's like a major tone shift and like almost a character shift. Like it's, it's clear that it's not entirely clear to me from the pilot who the main characters on the series are going to be. Yeah. And I don't think that the writers necessarily knew. Yeah. When they were doing the pilot. Right. It makes sense with how, I guess, American TV production works, right? Like you do the pilot and you just kind of hope it gets picked up. And then it's not until later that the storylines really coalesce. The other thing I really do like about Sex and the City is that they do depict women having careers and trying to juggle both of them. Because at that time, I think I really didn't see a lot of examples of women in high-powered careers also trying to have a family life in the 90s, especially it kind of seemed like an either or situation. And even like my parents, I feel like they chose between both family or career at various points in their life. And they never try to like hold both at the same time. I think that makes sense. I think it also, I think that's a way to me, I do like it, but I think that's a way to me that I think the show feels dated. I think that's something where we've kind of as a society, come to terms, for lack of a better word, with the idea that actually, like, maybe it is really, really difficult or impossible to do both of those things at the same time. Yeah, I think then it's, like, interesting to compare Sex and the City to the reboot and just like that, because seeing them again in, I think they're, what, like, 55 now and just like that, and trying to grapple with the new realities in the new world, I guess like 25 years later was much more fascinating than I thought. And I admit I didn't watch and just like that initially because it had been like critically panned. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to watch it at all. But then as I was watching it, I was like, I don't know, this is like kind of interesting. Do they nail it every time? No. Does it feel like forced in some ways? Yes. But I did find it interesting to take these like really beloved, well-known characters and to put them in the modern era, like to put them in the 2020s and just see how much they are dated in their way. So one of the best examples, I think, is just all of where their careers have gone, right? So like Carrie, she is co-host of a podcast and told she needs to be like raunchier and talk about sex more in the podcast or else she'll get essentially fired by the host of the podcast. And I think that's like a weird modern reality of publishing. Like she can't just be writing her like New York star column forever for a living. And I like that they really recognize that that just is not the reality of being a writer in New York anymore. And she has to kind of like adapt to the times and try podcasting and also like be very different in how comfortable she is like presenting herself and like talking publicly about things. Yeah, I agree. I like, and just like that, I'm enjoying it. And I think, of course, it's not a perfect show, but I I think it has been sort of interesting to see the characters like adapt to modern times. I think that this is a less realistic version of New York. I mean, perhaps that's the stage of life that we're in, but we both live in New York right now. And just like that is filmed in New York right now. We're also in our 30s in New York, which is like contemporaries of the original Sex and the City characters. And to me, the original Sex and the City feels more authentic to my experience of New York. I think in just like that, the city doesn't feel like a character in the show in the same way. 
Like mm. the city doesn't feel as like essential to what the show is. And the version of New York that is in the, and just like that doesn't feel as much like real New York to me. Yeah. And I feel like maybe that is due to the introduction of so many more characters, right? Is that they can't just like focus the universe now on this group of friends and have the men that they're dating as kind of like side characters because they've introduced so many more characters. And I think honestly, it was partially to be more reflective of the actual diversity of New York. But when you try to do that in like what one season, you have to take away from someone's storyline. And obviously they took away from Samantha's because she's no longer there. But I think they also had to take away from the character of New York in order to make room and make space for the much more diverse cast that they have, which I think is like good. But like you said, it does take away from having the city as such a character. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that a lot of, I don't think I'm the first person to say that a lot of the like diversity in and just like that feels very forced. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of those things where I'm enjoying and just like that. And I, I like the new characters And I'm certainly not saying like, I don't want to watch a show with diversity. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do think that there is a sense that like, okay, if this show was too white and too just of a certain slice of a very privileged class of people for it to feel like it makes sense to bring it back, then perhaps like we should have not brought it back. And we should have just, I know we're going to talk about like Real Housewives later, but they just did the reboot of Real Housewives sort of for the reason amongst others that they felt that the show was not reflective of New York because it wasn't diverse. And it was this like sort of very tiny slice of like this very particular privileged class of people. And at this point, people who had been reality stars for 15 years. And so they recast it with, a much more diverse, but like completely new cast. And I suppose what I'm saying is like, if we felt like Charlotte Miranda and Carrie were to who they were, are to sort of be the focus of a show in 2023, I think that's really fair. But then I think like, let's make something that feels a lot like sex in the city with, with a more diverse, realistic group. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Is that bad? Is that offensive to say? I don't think it is. No, and I think that kind of touches upon the real tension between our modern nostalgia for the past, but then also needing to be real about how we depict stories today. Because I think we're all like, oh, Sex and the City, it's such a classic. Like, yes, it is. But there's a reason it was created in 1998. And to just kind of like import it directly into what, 2021, 2022, it does feel a little bit forced. Like I really, especially the first episode, I like really cringed at Miranda's story where she kind of just said all the wrong things in everything. And like, her professor is black and she like went on a huge rant about how she took the class partially. It was just like really, really cringe to view. And I was like, is that realistic? Is that like a realistic way? I guess if you like literally imported someone, like teleported them from 1998 to 2021, that is maybe what they would say. But I was like, anyone who has actually like lived the realities of the slow progress, the slow march of progress would probably not be as 
awkward and as unhinged as she turned out to be. And I think that's kind of my problem with it is that like, it does feel like a time capsule that they just dropped off. And there was no recognition really of the years in between, which is I understand as a plot device is helpful because it's not like we as viewers saw what happened in between, but it also felt then like watching, I don't know, someone just be dropped in a foreign environment. And that was very strange because they wouldn't have been dropped into 2021. You know, they would have been along with the rest of us. Right. I think that's a very good point. And I think also, I agree with the point that you made that like, it's weird that they haven't like adapted to society, but at the same time as a viewer for like continuity and knowing who the characters are, it does seem like all this weird stuff was probably the best way instead of just having like them be different. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do appreciate that there is a need probably for a show depicting women in their fifties in New York, trying to go about these things because older sexuality is not really discussed or depicted. And there was like what I watched an episode where I think Harry Charlotte's husband is having like dry orgasms where like, instead of, oh my gosh, this is going to sound really gross. I'm sorry, guys. But instead of, like, the cum shooting out, it shoots in. And I was like, is this a thing? And it, appar- it apparently medically is a thing. And I was like, I never knew about it. I never would have known about it. But the show was talking about it. And I was like, I'm sure that might help someone figure out what is happening because we just don't talk about these issues as much. And it's, like, good to shed awareness on the normalcy of things that are normal, but also like very unusual, especially as you age. And like aging is a strange process and your body changes in ways that are kind of scary sometimes. It's like puberty, like the first time that you go through puberty and you're like, what the hell is happening? So I appreciate that it's doing that. And I really do hope that it's connecting with people who want to see them depicted in media and Yeah, I don't know. So I appreciate it for what it was. It is a bit of a cringe wash for me, though. Yeah. I want to say one last thing about Sex in the City, which is that what I do really like about it, that I think we don't have enough in modern television, is the original Sex in the City. The characters were not... I think there's the idea now that the central character of the series needs to be, like, the best person. And I think Carrie Bradshaw just is a very real person she's a little bit of an egomaniac and I just like I find her to be a very relatable character in that she is like an obviously flawed character and I like that and I wish we had more of that in television yeah well don't you think we kind of had that so in like girls which is also I think another seminal New York show like none of the characters are really that likable like they're all kind of really real and flawed and honestly kind of shitty friends to each other. (laughs) So I actually, I think the difference is to me with girls, Mm -hmm. I think that Lena Dunham was trying to write unlikable characters. I think that Darren Star, Darren Star did Sex in the City, right? But whatever. (laughs) Whomever it was, (laughs) was, I think that Carrie Bradshaw is a likable character with flaws I think that the girls on girls are just, they're sort of 
to me, they feel almost sort of intentionally one dimensional in a way that I think the tone was intended to be kind of like self-aware and self-mocking. Hmm. Even as the show went on, because like some of my favorite episodes of TV happen in the later episodes of Girls, where I do feel like there is much more of an inquiry into how both earnest and despicable the characters can be. Like they can earnestly want to do good and want to be on the right side of history and yet wind up on the wrong side. Um, This is, um, I I rewatched this episode because it's like one of my favorites. It was in season six, episode three, it's called American bitch. And it's where Hannah meets this like very esteemed author that she has really loved his books. He's like very critically acclaimed, very best-selling, but he's recently also had some, allegations about like non-consensual sexual relations with students on college campuses. And she kind of confronts him about this and they go into a very interesting discussion about the murkiness and like how we want things to be gray, how we want things to be black and white. And I think girls kind of winds up in the gray. Like, I don't think they're trying to be black and white and unintentionally unlikable. I think it just ends up that way because a lot of us, especially faced with the same selfishness, really, like if left unchecked, that would just be us. Yeah, I think that's fair. And honestly, it's been a long time since I've seen the later seasons of girls. And so I think that that is, I have to kind of defer to you on that, but I I think that that's fair. And I also don't think that they have to be perfect characters. When it first came out, I really liked Marnie. And now I am a Shoshana girl, I think. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think Shoshana really shines through by the end. But I agree. Marnie is depicted as like the reasonable one in the beginning. But I do think Hannah in the pilot especially is unlikable and is meant to be unlikable for all the reasons that you discussed. Yeah, I think Lena Dunham was working through a lot with girls. (laughs) She might still be working through a lot. Okay, so I guess that brings us to The Real Housewives of New York. And I have to admit, I've never seen really any of The Real Housewives. I know it's a very popular franchise. I know that it's in so many locations. But I had never really watched any of it until Real Housewives of New York this new season And when I first turned on, I was like, am I supposed to know these people? Like, do they have history? And I was pleasantly surprised to realize that, no, they're actually all new. So I was coming in with just as much knowledge as anyone else. Yeah, I'm enjoying this new season. Me too. Weirdly, as someone who was very dismissive of prior Real Housewives. But yeah, I was like, I'm kind of liking it. Yeah, it's fun. It feels sort of, to me, like pretty lighthearted. Pretty true to New York. I know so one of the women on it a little bit, and I'm really I'm excited to watch it. I think it was time. I know you didn't watch, but I think it was time for a reboot of the old Housewives of New York. I think that what happens also with reality television is that, of course, now there's like a hyper awareness of that you're on TV. And especially with a Bravo show and something like the Housewives reboot, all of the women in the new cast, I think it's hard to understand until you experience it, having never experienced it. But I think that they knew that like 
this is a big show. Like we're coming into this show. That's this show mm-hmm. and our lives are going to change. Mm-hmm. But in early seasons, you're still existing in the world. And I think that to me, what happened with the old, and I, I've never been, I've always been a casual, like occasional watcher of housewives. I've never been a like sit down and watch it when it's on like, or when it first airs every single episode, can't miss one viewer. But I think that the former Real Housewives of New York, so many of those women had been reality TV stars for such a long time that their lives sort of only existed as reality television, which ends up not being that interesting and it can't be real. It's too meta. Whereas now, like, yes, all of these women know that they're going to be incredibly famous and that like their lives are going to change, but like they're not existing for cameras now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Who are your faves and who are your least faves? Oh man. I really like Jenna, Jenna Lyons. I think she is like just such a power career woman who toes the line between this is a show and I am on it, but I also want to keep my personal life very personal really well. Cause she is like dating someone, but she won't reveal it. And I really respect that she is trying to get the good and try to minimize the bad. Because I think so often in anything in entertainment, right? I think general attitudes are sometimes like, oh, well, you opted into it. So you need to prepare for the good and the bad and everything. And like, there's no nuance to what the life of a reality star is like. So I really like that. I love that also she had such an interesting life. Like after I watched it, I was like, oh my God, I need to like look her up. So she's like a huge player in the fashion industry. But also when she hit 40, she was like, you know what? I don't think my life is going the way I want. And she was married to a man, had a son and kind of explored her sexuality in her 40s and ended up, you know, getting a divorce, getting outed by the New York Post of all (laughs) publications. And I just like really admire the strength and the self-resilience and your like self-knowledge that requires to live through all of that and just like be so poised at the end. So I really like her. I also think Brynn is super fun. I think she's like, I don't know, just a fun time, like someone I would want to talk to at a party. Yeah, I agree about Jenna. And I actually, I agree. And I actually sort of feel a different way about it. I agree. I really like her. I worked at J. Crew during like the Jenna Lyons like mm-hmm. era, just mm-hmm. in the stores. So I was like very, very familiar with it. And when I saw that she was on the show, I actually thought that she would be much less open and like oh. that we would see a lot less of her personal life and stuff just because yeah. she is so accomplished. And I've been like very, I really like Jenna and I've been very pleasantly surprised. I didn't think that I would dislike her. But I did think before, like, I would not like her being on the show. And then I would sort of feel like, oh, they wanted somebody with a name already and some fame and some, like, sort of social prestige. And that makes sense. And she serves that purpose. But, like, as a reality star, why is she on TV? I thought I would feel that way. And I don't at all. I feel like she's fun. I feel like she's authentic. I feel like we're seeing, yes, like, she has her boundaries. But I, she has fewer in a good way than I thought that she would. Yeah. I think Brynn is entertaining. I can't tell how much of it is a shtick and how much of it is she's really like that, which, oh my God, I don't want to make it. 
I think that I wonder what Bryn's astrological sign is, because I know a few women where I think that a lot of people are like, is this a shtick or is this her personality? How they are. Yeah. And a lot of the time it's just how they are. Like yeah. I, so I don't know, but I can't tell if Bryn's like turning it up for the cameras or if she really is that way. It also can be both, right? She can really be that way. And she's like leaning into it because it's on screen. Yeah. You know, you got to be a good entertainment because that's yeah. the nature of the game. Yeah, so I really like this new cast. Oh, I also like uh, Uba. Yeah, Uba seems very cool. Yeah, she's hilarious. And the fact that she is the way she is without drinking, without anything, I'm just like, that's amazing. Like, girl, live your life. So for like a dinner, right, she took out her phone's compass and was like, I have to sit facing north. And I was like, when else does this happen? Like, I love it. I love people like that. Does it feel true to New York to you? In, insofar as, like, it's a reality show, right? I yeah. Mean, I think insofar as it's a reality show, yes. Have I met anyone who ever was like, I have to sit facing north? No. But could I see people doing that? Absolutely. Because they're the same people who, like, go to Reiki healing and, like, talk about, like, energies and do a bunch of like restorative retreats. So I can see that or they'll never shut up about their like ayahuasca trip. So it's like true in a believable way, but not anyone that I have met yet. Yeah. What do you think about catch? Like the, wait, is that that's where- the restaurant they're, they're oh. saying? <laughs> okay. At first I was like, they never talked about that restaurant. Okay. That's the restaurant that they were like, we can't be caught dead at. Yeah. I do think it is very, you know, 2010s, like 2000s, but I don't think it's like a bad place. I think it is like easier to make a reservation there. It is probably easier to like get a group there. So if your goal is like a group dinner, I probably wouldn't complain, but I've also never been to Casa Cipriani. So maybe I have like no frame of reference. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about catch? Well, first of all, Casa Cipriani is cool but it's it's just fine right yeah <laughs> like they they both sound like fine but it is it is Casa Cipriani is a lot cooler than catch that's just a fact that's measure coolness is is I don't think coolness is subjective I think coolness is a fact. <laughs> like I, I think it's like measured by like I think that they're I think we could program a robot to like learn what's cool yeah. anyway Casa is definitely cooler I think my feeling of the controversy on the show is that as it's presented to us, I'm definitely on Aaron's side, 100%. I think that, like, if you're just having dinner with your friends, yeah, like, who cares where you go? And if it's, like, totally. an easy reservation, you just, like, lean into it and you're like, it's silly, whatever. I do think it would be – I could imagine scenarios where I would do what Brendan and I would not go. To catch what scenarios so i am just gonna tell on myself today i think that if it were like a big a dinner for an occasion i would be sort of embarrassed to go there does that make sense like if it was someone's birthday yeah i would mm. be more embarrassed to go to a birthday dinner at catch because it's like oh, we're in our 30s and we're going to this like passe like place with like the sparkly desserts where everybody's going to be like looking at us and we like think that we're cool at catch like 
that to me mm-hmm. is like a little cringy. Yeah. For me personally, like it just doesn't feel like I just probably can't get into that. But if somebody's just like, oh, we needed a reservation somewhere and like catch was open, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Let's go to catch. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. And also if it's an occasion, hopefully you've spent like more time thinking about it. And there are so many more places. Like I don't really believe that there are no places that can take a reservation for that many people, right? It's just, it was probably easiest. It was probably like location wise convenient, but I don't know. I, I mean, I'm now like a Brooklyn diehard and it is, you know, you can always find really great places in Brooklyn. If it was one of my good friends and they wanted to have their birthday at Catch, I would do it. Like, I'll, I'll, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, but I do see Bryn's side of, like, I dispositionally agree with Erin, where it's like, who cares where we go? I do see Bryn's side of, like, in a context where, like, everybody, people maybe are going to notice you. I do see how you would not want to be at that restaurant under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to be photographed at Bagatelle. Does Bagatelle <laughs> even still exist? I, I wouldn't take a picture there. I wouldn't take a picture at Bagatelle. Yeah. I would hide my little face. <laughs> and just hide. Yeah. I don't know if it does exist. But you're right. There's always like an internal sense of cool that I feel like I am tracking. And I don't know how it's like really created. But yeah, I have a sense of like where I would want my birthday and where I wouldn't want my birthday. But other than that... I will show up most anywhere if it's just for like a friend, but you're right. Like I still have a sense of what is cool or not. All right. We have some news. We do. So thank you guys for listening, but this will be the last episode for, I don't know how long, I think however long it takes to figure out my life. But I had a really serious conversation with my publisher about kind of, dropping some projects or putting them on pause at least while I finish or even really start writing my book. And they gave me a huge reality check about what having an indie podcast is like. And they were like, it is just not good in terms of probability. So in order to, you know, listen to my publisher and then also to give my book a fighting chance, especially now as the deadline is creeping up further, we are going to have to put this pod like on hiatus indefinitely. Yeah, but we'll still be around. You yes. can still find us on TikTok and Substack and Instagram and anywhere but catch. I know. <laughs> yeah. Although I am taking a step back from TikTok as well. This was like also part of the plan. I just like can't believe I'm like, I hate quitting things, right? Like it makes me, it's against everything I ever learned, but I'm trying to get more comfortable now with like realizing that quitting things does mean that you get more time back to do other things that matter to you. But I don't know. I'm like always so embarrassed. I'm like, oh, I couldn't cut it. I couldn't like make everything work. I couldn't not sleep two hours a night. But that's silly. That's like silly. Yeah. I love quitting things. You did it. And then you didn't want to do it anymore. So you stopped doing it. Whatever. Yeah. Should we all have such courage in our convictions to behave the way that we'd like to? That is true. So you know what? If anything, I have learned from you, from this pod, that it is okay to quit. And now I'm embracing that fully. (laughs) Yeah. Quit your job, quit your marriage, quit your whole life, and then just pick up the pieces, see where you land. That's my advice.
That's the perfect advice to end this season. All right. Thank you guys. You can find us, you know, Substack, Instagram, YouTube, all the other things. But unfortunately for the near future, not here. Have a great day. And thank you guys so much for spending this time with us. Bye, babies. I love you. 